Chapter twenty seven of Pushing to the Front by Horizon Sweat Marden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Luke Sartor. Chapter twenty seven Uses of Obstacles. Nature, when she adds difficulties, adds brains. Emerson. Many men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. Spurgeon The good are better made by ill, as odors crushed are sweeter still. Rogers Though losses and crosses be lessons right severe, there's wit there you'll get there, you'll find no other where. Burns Adversity is the prosperity of the great. Kites rise against, not with, the wind. Many and many a time since, said Harriet Martineau, referring to her father's failure in business, have we said that, but for that loss of money, we might have lived on in the ordinary provincial method of ladies with small means, sewing and economizing and growing narrower every year whereas by being thrown while it was yet time on our own resources we have worked hard and usefully won friends reputation and independence seen the world abundantly abroad and at home in short have truly lived instead of vegetating Two of the three greatest epic poets of the world were blind, Homer and Milton, while the third, Dante, was in his later years nearly, if not altogether, blind. It almost seems as though some great characters had been physically crippled in certain respects, so that they would not dissipate their energy, but concentrate it all in one direction a distinguished investigator in science, said that when he encountered an apparently insuperable obstacle, he usually found himself upon the brink of some discovery. Returned with thanks has made many an author. Failure often leads a man to success by arousing his latent energy, by firing a dormant purpose, by awakening powers which were sleeping, Men of metal turn disappointments into helps, as the oyster turns into pearl the sand which annoys it. Let the adverse breath of criticism be to you only what the blast of the storm-wind is to the eagle, a force against him that lifts him higher. A kite would not fly unless it had a string tying it down. It is just so in life. The man who is tied down by half a dozen blooming responsibilities and their mother will make a higher and stronger flight than the bachelor who, having nothing to keep him steady, is always floundering in the mud. When Napoleon's school companions made sport of him on account of his humble origin and poverty, he devoted himself entirely to books, and, quickly rising above them in scholarship, commanded their respect, 
soon he was regarded as the brightest ornament of the class. To make his way at the bar, said an eminent jurist, a young man must live like a hermit and work like a horse. There is nothing that does a young lawyer so much good as to be half-starved. Thousands of men of great native ability have been lost to the world because they have not had to wrestle with obstacles, and to struggle under difficulties sufficient to stimulate into activity their dormant powers. No effort is too dear which helps us along the line of our proper career. Poverty and obscurity of origin may impede our progress but it is only like the obstruction of ice or debris in the river temporarily forcing the water into eddies where it accumulates strength and a mighty reserve which ultimately sweeps the obstruction impetuously to the sea poverty and obscurity are not insurmountable obstacles but they often act as a stimulus to the naturally indolent and develop a firmer fibre of mind a stronger muscle and stamina of body. If the germ of the seed has to struggle to push its way up through the stones and hard sod, to fight its way up to sunlight and air, and then to wrestle with storm and tempest, with snow and frost, the fibre of its timber will be all the tougher and stronger. There is good philosophy in the injunction to love our enemies for they are often our best friends in disguise. They tell us the truth when friends flatter. Their biting sarcasm and scathing rebuke are mirrors which reveal us to ourselves. These unkind stings and thrusts are often spurs which urge us on to grander success and nobler endeavor. Friends cover our faults and rarely rebuke. Enemies drag out to the light all our weaknesses without mercy. We dread these thrusts and exposures, as we do the surgeon's knife, but are the better for them. They reach depths before untouched, and we are led to resolve to redeem ourselves from scorn and inferiority. We are the victors of our opponents. We have developed in us the very power by which we overcome them. Without their opposition, we could never have braced and anchored and fortified ourselves, as the oak is braced and anchored for its thousand battles with the tempests. Our trials, our sorrows, and our griefs develop us in a similar way. The man who has triumphed over difficulties bears the signs of victory in his face. An air of triumph is seen in every movement john calvin who made a theology for the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries was tortured with disease for many years and so was robert hall the great men who have lifted the world to a higher level were not developed in easy circumstances but were rocked in the cradle of difficulties and pillowed on hardships the gods look on no grander sight than an honest man struggling with adversity then i must learn to sing better said anaximander when told that the very boys laughed at his singing strong characters like the palm tree seem to thrive best when most abused 
men who have stood up bravely under great misfortune for years are often unable to bear prosperity their good fortune takes the spring out of their energy as the torrid zone enervates races accustomed to a vigorous climate some people never come to themselves until baffled rebuffed thwarted defeated crushed in the opinion of those around them trials unlock their virtues defeat is the threshold of their victory it is defeat that turns bone to flint it is defeat that turns gristle to muscle it is defeat that makes men invincible it is defeat that has made those heroic natures that are now in the ascendancy and that has given the sweet law of liberty instead of the bitter law of oppression difficulties call out great qualities and make greatness possible how many centuries of peace would have developed a grant few knew lincoln until the great weight of the war showed his character a century of peace would never have produced a bismarck perhaps phillips and garrison would never have been known to history had it not been for slavery will he not make a great painter was asked in regard to an artist fresh from his italian tour no never replied northcote why not because he has an income of six thousand pounds a year in the sunshine of wealth a man is as a rule warped too much to become an artist of high merit he should have some great thwarting difficulty to struggle against a drenching shower of adversity would straighten his fibres out again the best tools receive their temper from fire their edge from grinding the noblest characters are developed in a similar way the harder the diamond the more brilliant the luster and the greater the friction necessary to bring it out only its own dust is hard enough to make this most precious stone reveal its full beauty the spark in the flint would sleep forever but for friction the fire in man would never blaze but for antagonism suddenly with much jarring and jolting an electric car came to a standstill just in front of a heavy truck that was headed in an opposite direction the huge truck wheels were sliding uselessly round on the car tracks that were wet and slippery from rain all the urging of the teamster and the straining of the horses were in vain until the motor man quietly tossed a shovel full of sand on the track under the heavy wheels and then the truck lumbered on its way friction is a very good thing remarked a passenger the philosopher kant observed that a dove inasmuch as the only obstacle it has to overcome is the resistance of the air might suppose that if only the air were out of the way it could fly with greater rapidity and ease yet if the air were withdrawn and the bird should try to fly in a vacuum it would fall instantly to the ground unable to fly at all the very element that offers the opposition to flying is at the same time the condition of any flight whatever emergencies make giant men but for our civil war the names 
of its grand heroes would not be written among the greatest of our time. The effort or struggle to climb to a higher place in life has strengthened dignity in it, and cannot fail to leave us stronger, even though we may never reach the position we desire or secure the prize we seek. From an aimless, idle, and useless brain, emergencies often call out powers and virtues before unknown and unsuspected. How often we see a young man develop astounding ability and energy after the death of a parent, or the loss of a fortune, or after some other calamity has knocked the props and crutches from under him. The prison has roused the slumbering fire in many a noble mind. Robinson Crusoe was written in prison. The Pilgrim's Progress appeared in Bedford Jail. Sir Walter Raleigh wrote, The History of the World, during his imprisonment of thirteen years. Luther translated the Bible while confined in the castle of Wartburg. For twenty years Dante worked in exile, and even under sentence of death. Take two acorns from the same tree, as nearly alike as possible. Plant one on a hill by itself, and the other in the dense forest, and watch them grow. The oak standing alone is exposed to every storm. Its roots reach out in every direction, clutching the rocks and piercing deep into the earth. Every rootlet lends itself to steady the growing giant as if in anticipation of fierce conflict with the elements. Sometimes its upward growth seems checked for years, but all the while it has been expending its energy in pushing a root across a large rock to gain a firmer anchorage. Then it shoots proudly aloft again, prepared to defy the hurricane. The gales which sport so rudely with its wide branches find more than their match, and only serve still further to toughen every minutest fibre from pith to bark. The acorn planted in the deep forest, on the other hand, shoots up a weak, slender sapling. Shielded by its neighbours, it feels no need of spreading its roots far and wide for support. Take two boys, as nearly alike as possible. Place one in the country, away from the hothouse culture and refinements of the city, with only the district school, the Sunday school, and a few books. Remove wealth and props of every kind, and if he has the right sort of material in him, he will thrive. Every obstacle overcome lends him strength for the next conflict. If he falls, he rises with more determination than before. Like a rubber ball, the harder the obstacle he meets, the higher he rebounds. Obstacles and opposition are but apparatus of the gymnasium in which the fibres of his manhood are developed. He compels respect and recognition from those who have ridiculed his poverty. Put the other boy in a Vanderbilt family. Give him French and German nurses. Gratify his every wish. Place him under the tutelage of great masters, and send him to Harvard. Give him thousands a year for spending money, and let him travel extensively. The two meet. 
The city lad is ashamed of his country brother. The plain, threadbare clothes, hard hands, tawny face, and awkward manner of the country boy make sorrow contrast with the genteel appearance of the other. The poor boy bemoans his hard lot, regrets that he has no chance in life, and envies the city youth. He thinks that it is a cruel providence that places such a wide gulf between them. They meet again as men. But how changed! It is as easy to distinguish the sturdy, self-made man from the one who has been propped up all his life by wealth, position, and family influence, as it is for the shipbuilder to tell the difference between the plank from the rugged mountain oak and one from the sapling of the forest. When God wants to educate a man, he does not send him to school to the graces, but to the necessities. Through the pit and the dungeon, Joseph came to a throne. We are not conscious of the mighty cravings of our half-divine humanity. We are not aware of the God within us until some chasm yawns which must be filled, or till the rending asunder of our affections forces us to become conscious of a need. St. Paul in his Roman cell, John Huss led to the stake at Constance. Tyndale dying in his prison at Amsterdam. Milton, amid the incipient earthquake, throws a revolution. Teaching two little boys in Aldgate Street. David Livingston, worn to a shadow, dying in a negro hut in Central Africa, alone. What failures they might all have seemed to themselves to be. Yet what mighty purposes! was God working out by their apparent humiliations. Two highwaymen, chancing once to pass a gibbet, one of them exclaimed, What a fine profession ours would be if there were no gibbets! Tut, you blockhead, replied the other, gibbets are the making of us, for if there were no gibbets, everyone would be a highwayman. Just so with every art, trade, or pursuit. It is the difficulties that scare and keep out unworthy competitors. Success grows out of struggles to overcome difficulties, says Smiles. If there were no difficulties, there would be no success. In this necessity for exertion, we find the chief source of human advancement, the advancement of individuals as of nations. It has led to most of the mechanical inventions and improvements of the age. Stick your claws into me, said Mendelssohn, to his critics when entering the Birmingham Orchestra. Don't tell me what you like, but what you don't like. John Hunter said that the art of surgery would never advance until professional men had the courage to publish their failures as well as their successes. Young men need to be taught not to expect a perfectly smooth and easy way to the objects of their endeavour or ambition, says Dr. Peabody. Seldom does one reach a position with which he has reason to be satisfied without encountering difficulties and what might seem discouragements. But if they are properly met, they are not what they seem and may prove to be helps not hindrances. 
there is no more helpful and profiting exercise than surmounting obstacles. It was in the Madrid jail that Cervantes wrote, Don Quixote. He was so poor that he could not even get paper during the last of his writing, and had to write on scraps of leather. A rich Spaniard was asked to help him, but replied, Heaven forbid that his necessities should be relieved. It is his poverty that makes the world rich. He has the stuff in him to make a good musician, said Beethoven of Rossini. If he had only been well flogged when a boy, but he is spoiled by the ease with which he composes. We do our best while fighting desperately to attain what the heart covets. Waters says that the struggle to obtain knowledge and to advance oneself in the world strengthens the mind, disciplines the faculties, matures the judgment, promotes self-reliance, and gives one independence of thought and force of character. Kossuth called himself a tempest-tossed soul, whose eyes have been sharpened by affliction. As soon as young eagles can fly, the old birds tumble them out and tear the down and feathers from their nest. The rude and rough experience of the eaglet fits him to become the bold king of birds, fierce and expert in pursuing his prey. Boys who are bound out, crowded out, kicked out, usually turn out, while those who do not have these disadvantages frequently fail to come out. It was not the victories, but the defeats of my life which have strengthened me, said the aged Sydenham Poyntis. Almost from the dawn of history, oppression has been the lot of the Hebrews, yet they have given the world its noblest songs, its wisest proverbs, its sweetest music. With them, persecution seems to bring prosperity. They thrive where others would starve. They hold the purse-strings of many nations. To them, hardship has been like spring mornings, frosty but kindly, the cold of which will kill the vermin, but will let the plant live. In one of the battles of the Crimier, a cannonball struck inside the fort, crashing through a beautiful garden. But from the ugly chasm there burst forth a spring of water which ever afterward flowed a living fountain. From the ugly gashes which misfortunes and sorrows make in our hearts, perennial fountains of rich experience and new joys often spring. Don't lament and grieve over lost wealth. The Creator may see something grand and mighty, which even He cannot bring out. As long as your wealth stands in the way, you must throw away the crutches of riches and stand upon your own feet and develop the long unused muscles of manhood. God may see a rough diamond in you which only the hard hits of poverty can polish. God knows where the richest melodies of our lives are, and what drill and what discipline are necessary to bring them out. The frost, the snows, the tempests, the lightnings, 
are the rough teachers that bring the tiny acorn to the sturdy oak. Fierce winters are as necessary to it as long summers. It is its half-century's struggle with the elements for existence, wrestling with the storm, fighting for its life from the moment that it leaves the acorn until it goes into the ship that gives its value. Without this struggling, it would have been characterless, staminaless, nerveless, and its grain would have never been susceptible of high polish. The most beautiful, as well as the strongest woods, are found not in tropical climates, but in severe climates, where they have to fight the frosts and the winter's cold. Many a man has never found himself until he has lost his all. Adversity stripped him only to discover him. Obstacles, hardships, are the chisel and mallet which shape the strong life into beauty. The rough ledge on the hillside complains of the drill, of the blasting which disturbs its peace of centuries. It is not pleasant to be rent with powder, to be hammered and squared by the quarrymen. But look again, behold the magnificent statue, the monument, chiseled into grace and beauty telling its grand story of valor in the public square for centuries. The statue would have slept in the marble forever, but for the blasting, the chiseling, and the polishing. The angel of our higher and nobler selves would remain forever unknown in the rough quarries of our lives, but for the blastings of affliction, the chiseling of obstacles, and the sandpapering of a thousand annoyances. Who has not observed the patience, the calm endurance, the sweet loveliness chiseled out of some rough life by the reversal of fortune or by some terrible affliction? How many business men have made their greatest strides toward manhood and developed their greatest virtues when reverses of fortune have swept away everything they had in the world? when disease had robbed them of all they held dear in life. Often we cannot see the angel in the quarry of our lives, the statue of manhood, until the blasts of misfortune have rent the ledge, and difficulties and obstacles have squared and chiseled the granite blocks into grace and beauty. Many a man has been ruined into salvation, the lightning which smote his dearest hopes opened up a new rift in his dark life and gave him glimpses of himself which until then he had never seen the grave buried his dearest hopes but uncovered in his nature possibilities of patience endurance and hope which he never before dreamed he possessed adversity is a severe instructor says edmund burke set over us by one who knows us better than we do ourselves, as he loves us better too. He that wrestles with us strengthens our nerves and sharpens our skill. Our antagonist is our helper. This conflict with difficulty makes us acquainted with our object and compels us to consider it in all its relations. It will not suffer us to be superficial. Men who have the right kind of material in them 
will assert their personality and rise in spite of a thousand adverse circumstances. You cannot keep them down. Every obstacle seems only to add to their ability to get on. The greatest men will ever be those who have risen from the ranks. It is said that there are ten thousand chances to one that genius, talent, and virtue shall issue from a farmhouse rather than from a palace. Adversity exasperates fools, dejects cowards, but draws out the faculties of the wise and industrious, puts the modest to the necessity of trying their skill, awes the opulent, and makes the idle industrious. The storms of adversity, like those of the ocean, rouse the faculties and excite the invention, prudence, skill, and fortitude of the voyager. A man upon whom continuous sunshine falls is like the earth in August. He becomes parched and dry and hard and close-grained. Men have drawn from adversity the elements of greatness. Beethoven was almost totally deaf and burdened with sorrow when he produced his greatest works. Schiller wrote his best books in great bodily suffering. He was not free from pain for fifteen years. Milton wrote his leading productions when blind, poor, and sick. Who best can suffer, said he, best can do. Bunyan said that, if it were lawful, he could even pray for greater trouble, for the greater comfort's sake. Not until the breath of the plague had blasted a hundred thousand lives, and the great fire had licked up cheap, shabby, wicked London, did she arise, phoenix-like, from her ashes and ruin, a grand and mighty city. True salamanders live best in the furnace of persecution. Many of our best poets are cradled into poetry by wrong, and learn in suffering what they teach in song. Byron was stung into a determination to go to the top by a scathing criticism of his first book, Hours of Idleness, published when he was but nineteen years of age. Macaulay said, There is scarce an instance in history of so sudden a rise to so dizzy an eminence as Byron reached. In a few years he stood by the side of such men as Scott, Southey, and Campbell, and died at thirty-seven, that age so fatal to genius. Many an orator, like stuttering Jack Curran, or Orator Mum, as he was once called, has been spurred into eloquence by ridicule and abuse. This is the crutch age. Helps and aids are advertised everywhere. We have institutes, colleges, universities, teachers, books, libraries, newspapers, magazines. Our thinking is done for us. Our problems are all worked out in explanations and keys. Our boys are too often tutored through college with very little study. Short roads and abridged methods are characteristic of the century. Ingenious methods are used everywhere to get the drudgery out of the college course. 
Newspapers give us our politics, and preachers our religion. Self-help and self-reliance are getting old-fashioned. Nature, as if conscious of delayed blessings, has rushed to man's relief with her wondrous forces, and undertakes to do the world's drudgery and emancipate him from Eden's curse. But do not misinterpret her edict. She emancipates from the lower only to call to the higher. She does not bid the world go and play while she does the work. She emancipates the muscles only to employ the brain and heart. The most beautiful, as well as the strongest characters, are not developed in warm climates, where man finds his bread ready-made on trees, and where exertion is a great effort, but rather in a trying climate and on a stubborn soil. It is not chance that returns to the Hindu riot a penny, and to the American laborer a dollar for his daily toil, that makes Mexico with its mineral wealth poor, and New England with its granite and ice rich. It is rugged necessity, it is the struggle to obtain, it is poverty, the priceless spur that develops the stamina of manhood and calls the race out of barbarism. Intelligent labor found the world a wilderness and has made it a garden. As the sculptor thinks only of the angel imprisoned in the marble block, so nature cares only for the man or woman shut up in the human being. The sculptor cares nothing for the block as such. Nature has little regard for the mere lump of breathing clay. The sculptor will chip off all unnecessary material to set free the angel. Nature will chip and pound us remorselessly to bring out our possibilities. She will strip us of wealth, humble our pride, humiliate our ambition, let us down from the ladder of fame, will discipline us in a thousand ways if she can develop a little character. Everything must give way to that. The hero is not fed on sweets. Daily his own heart he eats. Chambers of the great are jails, and headwinds write for royal sails. Then welcome each rebuff that turns earth's smoothness rough each sting that bids not sit nor stand but go browning end of chapter 27 uses of obstacles recording by luke sartor brisbane queensland